Hi, listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Hey all, in most episodes, one overarching theme comes together. But for this one, the conversation covers so many topics that it felt wrong to try and reduce it to a single thread. And really, nothing in grief reduces to a single thread, even for people who have had the same person die of the same cause on the same day. Here are a few things, though, that did rise to the surface during this interview. Talking more about how someone lived than how they died. How people, especially parents who have had children die, need invitations and space to talk about their child. The way death can stop us from making new memories of and with the person who died. And how the stories we tell ourselves, especially in grief, can help or harm us. Amanda Drews is the founder of Buzzy's Bees, an organization she started after her son Hudson, who was 13 months old at the time, died of SUDC, Sudden and Unexplained Death in Childhood. Amanda started Buzzy's Bees with the mission to provide financial support to families dealing with the unexpected loss of a child. Over time, though, Amanda realized that what families really needed and wanted was a chance to talk about their children. So from that, she launched the Give Grief a Voice project, where families meet with professional writers and artists who capture the essence of their child and their life in a unique piece of art. Okay, here's my multi-themed conversation with Amanda. Amanda, thanks for making time to talk with me today for Grief Out Loud. Thank you so much for having me. I'm curious, how do you talk about your son Hudson's death? Like, how do you describe it to other people? Yeah, I guess I've really tried to talk more about his life um, than the actual like death or loss. Um, And I think in the very beginning, I brought it up all the time. And it was kind of this whole thing of like shouting it from the rooftops. And at this point, it's more of like something that I hold close and it's a privilege to hear about. But I describe it and talk about it as like a definitely defining moment in my life. It happened um, very unexpectedly. He passed in the middle of the night at 13 months old, and we just celebrated the six-year anniversary of his passing. Um, So it's definitely evolved since the beginning, Um, but I remember in the beginning just feeling like, why, like being in the grocery store and feeling like, why are people buying Snickers bars? Like, don't they know this like really big thing happened? Then when the cashier would ask, how many kids do you have? Having to include him, and now I just kind of shelter that. Um, I don't always have to say it, but I definitely am an open book when it comes to like having a real personal conversation about who he is and who he meant to us. And then what has my life and our family's life has been like after he passed. I've talked to a lot of parents who have had children die, and I don't think this is unique to having a child die versus having someone else in your life die. But there does seem to be that progression. And I don't know why I always want to use the analogy with grief and broken legs. But like when you first break your leg, and you're out in the world, everybody is going to see it. 
sometimes you have to tell people, but it's just like, it's visible. And I think about when somebody first dies, it's so visible to the person who's grieving that it's almost like, I just need the world to know what I'm going through. And then over time, as that leg heals, you know, no more cast, no more brace, I'll back to walking and running. People get to choose, maybe have more choice in like who they tell the story to of this time I was hiking and I fell and I broke my leg. And it just seems like a similar parallel with as the grief becomes maybe less raw in that way, there's a little bit more like I get to choose who I share this with. I think 100%. And I think even though we don't have broken legs, there's a that first year, there's such a raw visibility of you just don't look well, like you, your mental state is not happy or cheery. And even your physical aesthetic, and I feel like initially I wore like a lot of black and did all that stuff um, just because I wasn't happy. So it's like this outwardness of it was just, I felt apparent and maybe it wasn't apparent, but to me, it felt like they totally know something's wrong with me. And this is a question I've never asked anyone before. So if it's too weird of a question, we can just skip it. How, how do you talk to yourself about Hudson and about his death and about his life? I think that we all do things differently. Right. And I, think that there's definitely this parallel. There's an author by the name of Joan Didion that asks, what are the stories that you tell yourself in order to either make things easier or harder on yourself? Initially, I did like blame myself for his death. Like, what if he wasn't co-sleeping? What if we had an outlet monitor? What if things had gone differently? What if my son's birthday party wasn't, my older son's birthday party wasn't that day? All those like, what ifs? And it was bad self-talk. It was something that I had done. Also, I gave him quite a few like Highlands teething tablets the day that he passed away. And I'm like, maybe I overdid it because Highlands teething tablets aren't like monitored by the FDA. So they're like a homeopathic remedy thinking, oh, and so it's definitely bad self-talk. Like it's something like you're supposed to protect your children. And I did not do that. Right. Like I did not rise to the occasion. And then there's that sentiment that rolls around in like momhood and mom's groups and stuff like that. Like, at least I kept the kids alive today. What if you at least didn't do that? And then I think today it's still riddled, especially like in my grief season, um, which is totally 100% between his date of birth and date of death. Um, So from 4-4 to 5-15, I'm just like kind of a basket case. Um, And so I still have those. I just try and focus on like the positive change and how I can support one, if I can support one other person to get through that first year, it might end up being support me as well. Like it's just like kind of this super altruistic learning phase that I'm in and how I talk about Hudson's death as gathering all these information and then passing that on to other people is kind of a reason if there's ever a reason. I don't know. I don't know if I answered that question very well. <laughs> I'm appreciating the the reference of Joan Didion of, you know, the stories we tell ourselves that can make things harder or easier. And I was just reflecting on how Like 90% of the time, I feel like our first instinct is to go to the one that makes it harder. (laughs) How was I responsible? Was this my fault? You know, I don't know if that story ever totally goes away, but it sounds like you've invited some additional storylines into that bookshelf um, to perhaps choose different ones depending on the day. Uh, Yeah, I think so. I think I've done a good job of trying to scatter the emotions and 
guilt is never going to go away as a parent. You're always going to feel somewhat responsible, whether you were responsible or not. And Amanda, you mentioned a few times that the anniversary of Hudson's death just passed. Today's May 19th, so it was just four days ago on May 15th, and that it was the um, six-year anniversary. And I appreciated the term you used, like you're in your grief season for that time from early April to early May. And wondering what you noticed this year of how it felt the same or different than past years. I feel like every year is kind of different. That first year is definitely the hardest because you're kind of creating your path or your celebrations or how you want to memorialize the kid that you've lost, the child you've lost or the person you've lost. How we do it in our family is my son was six when Hudson passed away. And so he is in 100% control of Hudson's birthday and he chooses the cake. We sing the song, we go to the grave when he wants to go. Sometimes I go without him and then go again. And he chooses the balloons, the flowers, everything. When it comes to the death day, I just choose what feels right for me. So this year I just kind of dove into work, even though it was a Sunday and I did a lot of that. I took a lot of naps. Um, Sometimes in the past we've taken a trip Sometimes I just say, like take the day for myself or send to the kid, the other two children I have off to Nana's. It just changes year to year. I feel like what our true memorialization or what we do is surrounds like his birthday. Like there's always a cake. There's always that. And I give that control to my son, Calvin. As you were talking to, it just struck me that it's so close to Mother's Day as well. And wondering what that day has been like for you. Yeah. So again, um, I have a subsequent child. Um, She's now four and I celebrate because my kids want to, and they do really sweet things. You know, the four-year-old, you get the little chart in school with like all like the fill in the blanks and it's so sweet, but it just is so emotional. I'm not the type of person that usually would like cry at like, Oh, she said my favorite food was an apple and it's not, but like, it's (laughs) so endearing but it just everything is just makes me super teary like just during that season like whether it's happy it's like the hallmark movie cry right like the minute something sweet is said or I have a sad or a happy thought I just literally cry and everybody looks at me like is she okay I'm like yep fine like just and the people that are close to me like I'm in the grief season and they get it but it's just everything makes me teary and cry Um, and Mother's Day is no different. I mean, always flowers. I try and do something for myself. This year we put in a patio. It doesn't, you know, it's just, again, kind of like sometimes it's the master of distraction. It just depends on the year. Um, and also my older son's birthday is the 12th of May. That's really important to honor him as well. And so, cause Hudson actually passed away the evening of my older son's birthday party. Your family is very efficient in scheduling all these very intense, significant days and anniversaries in the same like six week period. <laughs> yeah. It's like a complete grief tidal wave. You're just like, oh, okay, here we go. Here's the next one. Here's the next one. <laughs> Not yeah. to imply that the rest of the year is somehow like grief free. Right. You've mentioned Calvin a few times, your oldest child. He's now 12 and was six when Hudson died. And Just wondering, like, how did you talk with Calvin about his brother's death? Do you remember the questions that he had, the types of support he required? 
so the night that he passed away, my cousin um, was staying over and my cousin took Calvin to my grandma's house and they had no, like there was just an indication from the first responders that it was not going to be good. Like anything short of him living would have been a complete miracle, right? And there was no indication. And so he took, my cousin took him to my grandma's house and he drew a picture of, um, without them saying anything, because we asked them not to say anything, but basically Hudson in a grave. So he knew, like he knew that evening, you feel emotions. I don't think we give kids enough credit for just feeling the emotions and the internal um, gut reaction. However, after that, we did explain it to him. And when we first told him, I remember my husband, husband telling him, and him saying, but he was just being able to be played with. And so with Calvin, it's been really hard, but um, Dougie Center came in. We attended the Dougie Center for two and, two and a half years. And always the group leaders are like, Calvin never talks, <laughs> but when he does, it's super introspective and like super poignant. And I think that's true to who he is today for the most part. Um, the Dougie Center was a huge, huge in our, even for my husband and I. Um, so we did um, the opportunity to talk to other parents um, was really huge for us. And so first and foremost, the Dougie Center obviously supports kids through their grief, but um, the secondary support of other parents that had lost child or caregiver, right? Because um, the first and foremost is the kid. So the care- primary caregiver could be really anybody. But we um, really enjoyed, we really connected with a couple people within that group. And Calvin regularly talked about other members of his group all the time, right? And so whenever he was sad, he would be like, so-and-so does this or so-and-so does that. And so I really feel like that became a part of his toolkit. Um, He was also given a journal. He was six when we started. Um, So he was also given the Dougie Center workbook and journal. And he has recently just picked that up. I think it was for him, just he wasn't in that space and he wasn't really writing a whole lot at six years old. But um, I think for kids, it definitely comes in waves and he is continued to use the toolkit he was provided there. And we are always an open book. We talk about Hudson. I don't know if this is healthy or unhealthy, but we do talk about Hudson um, as he's still present in our lives. And then it makes me wonder too, what the conversation has been like with your youngest child, your daughter, who wasn't alive when Hudson was alive and you know, just wondering as you talk about him, like how, how have you explained to her who Hudson was and what happened? And yeah. Um, so in our house, we have these like metal tiles, like they're like tile pictures. Like, and, um, one is of my husband, Nate with Hudson. One is Calvin with Hudson. One is me with Hudson and one is Hudson by himself. Recently, probably in the last six months, maybe a year, Brooklyn was noticing those on the wall. She was like, why is there not a picture of me with brother? Like, this is so unfair. And initially just complete toddler anger, like complete anger stomping around. And then she looked at me. I looked at Nate. She looked back at me and our eyes were just welled up with tears. And then she just started bawling 
And we just held her and said, I am so sorry that you'll never meet Hudson, but he's your older brother and he protects you. And he is so much a part of our lives, like a hundred percent a part of our lives. And he has a complete presence. And early on, even um, because Hudson and Brooklyn look a lot alike and Calvin definitely is a little bit lighter. She saw pictures sometimes when she was really little of Hudson thinking it was Calvin, but then she saw Calvin in the same picture with Hudson. So then it got kind of confusing when she was like a year and a half and barely verbal. Also, she found a picture of Hudson in a stack of just old photos. She was like, baby, baby brother. So she, I mean, it's weird. I mean, kids sense things like she knows that he would, she knows that he was her brother, but I mean, there's a lot of little comments and we always absorb whatever she has. Like this year when we bought the cake, she's like, Hudson's in the ground. He cannot eat this cake. And I'm like, that's very true. And she's like, so if I eat this cake and then the crumbs go to my heart, since Hudson is in my heart, he will get the cake. Uh, Amanda, you mentioned earlier that, you know, in the the stories that you tell yourself about Hudson's death, that part of your process has been trying to support other people who are going through grief, which is can be a pretty common path for folks who've had such a devastating experience of wanting to ease the path of others who are also needing to go down that path. So I wondered if you could talk about your organization, Buzzy's Bees. How did it start? Yeah, for sure. Initially, it was just wanting to have, we couldn't imagine our family really rallied around us. So initially, our family really rallied. I didn't even go to like the funeral planning meeting for Hudson. Like people really had our backs. I couldn't do it. There was just so much support. I mean, I feel like we sat visual um, in our house for a week of just, it was just a kind of a constant flow of close friends and family, continual showing up and pushing back. The funeral planning did not go magical and just like pushing back, like, no, we need better answers. We need things to be set in stone. Cause when the unexpected, most awful thing has happened, you need some sort of control and things were kind of happening as planned there. And so initially we just set out to help people receive like a fraction of the support that we received. And that came initially in the financial gifts. And so we're a small percentage of nonprofits and the nation that can give money directly to families and it's very low barrier. And so we just write a check or give the families cash and they can use it for a multitude of things. Like they can use it for a burial service. They can use it for counseling. If what they really need is a pedicure and a spa day or, and groceries, like they can also do that. Like whatever your heart needs in that grief, you're able to do that as you need to. Um, and then the application for that, we don't ask for financial statements or anything like that. We just, we do have kind of an internal rubric that's here nor there. It's an interesting process, but it's very much initially filled our cup for sure. And just that support. And we did, we're pretty slow to grow, grew really organically. And we did a, we do a yearly golf, miniature golf tournament that's family friendly. The last couple years we've sold out so quickly that we've added a par three golf tournament. Um, and you can play in honor of your child or just play in honor of somebody that you've lost that's impacted your life. Um, so there's been that. And then just following the stages, honestly, a lot of people did not want our money. It was hard to find people like grant recipients 
again, kind of slow to grow, very organic. And I went to a walk in Green Lake in Seattle for another SUDC child. And just for listeners to know what SUDC stands for. Once you cross the threshold of a year, um, it's no longer SID, so sudden infant death syndrome. It becomes sudden unexplained death in childhood. And that is more common than people would like to hear. And Hudson kind of straddles the two. So he was 13 months, so he kind of fits in the SIDS category and also kind of fits in the SUDC category. Um, Those are the folks that just resonated with me as far as support. I really connected with those bereaved parents. Um, But most of those children that I feel like I met are like two and a half, seems to be like average. We went on a walk for a two and a half year old named Jackson up in Seattle around Green Lake and this thing that just kept happening, like, we don't want your money, but do you have two hours to let me talk about my kid? Like, I just want to talk about my kid without feeling uncomfortable. And I want to talk about his life, their lives. I don't want to talk about the death. Like, I feel like so much, especially when things happen unexpectedly to a child, people really hone in on what happened. Like, they're going to prevent it for their own children. But really, as bridge parents, we're thinking about it all the time. Like, you can never bring up Hudson, and I'm not excited to talk about it. Like, you're not going to make me sad. Like, I'm already, actually, it might make me happy that somebody else is remembering him or has a memory. So they just want to talk about their child is, like, something I hear all the time. And then secondarily, um, I just would love a new memory of my child. Like, so those are the two things that come up. Like, we have no new memories. Like, we had no idea that this timestamp would be so short and we have no way to talk about our kids comfortably. So we launched a program called Give Grief a Voice and we hire professional writers and they go in and they interview the families and every interview starts the same. We just say, tell us about your child. So like, tell us about Hudson and we just let them talk and they get to, they get the choice to share. And there's a few other questions we might ask along the way. And then after that story is written, the artist sends it to the family to make any edits. And then the edits are preserved. And then after that, we send it to an artist who commissions an art piece based on their story. Is there an art piece you could describe for us? Yeah. So actually, a Dougie Center family participated. She had talked about her daughter participating in the art art for the big Dougie Center gala. And the art piece was like a wave mosaic um, that she had put into the auction and her mom was bidding on it and she's eventually became this is ridiculous I'm not paying two thousand dollars for something that my 10 year old made that's so crazy so she took a photo of it and she like that's that and then later she's like man I wish for everything that I would have just sucked it up and bought it also that kiddo was really um, obsessed with Buzz Lightyear the artist created an art piece of the backs of Buzz Lightyear and the child hand in hand. And then mom's therapy has been soccer. And so it's like the soccer ball has says mom on it, like um, Toy Story. And then there's something that he did with dad that says dad on it. And then the bottom of his Buzz's shoe says something. So it's really, and then they're hand in hand walking into a painting of that art piece that his sister created. It really just pulls all the elements of this 2000 word story and translates it into art. Very rarely 
is it a portrait? Like you can have that commissioned by anybody, but it's just taking in all the elements of their grieving process, everything the child meant to them and collaborating it into one quite large art piece. Our parameters are 24 by 24. And so the Give Grief a Voice project is available for families who've had a child die. Is it um, specific to the local Portland, Oregon area, or is it available to families around the country or? We are a national program. These past couple of years, we've done the interviews on Zoom. Normally we would travel. So we try and highlight two or three places each year that applications are coming from and travel. So we've been to Austin, we've been to Iowa. We have hopes to go to Boston this year, um, this coming next year. And then other than that, we fill in with the Pacific Northwest. So anything easily to drive to within like six hours. So Seattle, Oregon thinking about this work that you've been doing, engaging so much with other families who are also grieving, you know, the death of a a very young child. And how has that work working, being with those families changed you and changed your grief? Yeah, I feel like I really get a picture on like how to grieve. I feel like the American grief culture or this, the dominant culture of grief does things pretty terribly in ways of supporting each other. We've talked to people, a lot of people from different cultures and different religious backgrounds and that have different rituals. And I feel like it's just aided in my own healing, the ability to like pull from different people's stories. There was a um, single mom who talked about losing her daughter and she pulled from all these different avenues. And one of them um, being like the Buddhist tradition of this Jizo statue that protects all the babies um, who passed way too soon. And in Klatskanine, Oregon, there's actually like a Jizo garden where you can just like go and claim a statue and like dress it for in honor of your child that you've lost. And after that interview, I like drove to Klatskanine. I'm like, I'm doing this. Like I had no idea even existed. And so I just think um, talking about it has really helped me in giving other people their own voice. I mean, our practice in the interviews is really truly like kind of like narrative therapy where most times like there's a newspaper article that's like wanting to tell the story but they're really wanting to pull people in with the tragedy of it all or there's somebody else who believes that they know how you're grieving just because they lost somebody and it it's so individual it's so unique to each person who has grieved that they deserve to have their own voice and own their experience and not have somebody tell it for them. So in alignment with telling your own story, as we come to, to the end of this conversation, I'm, I'm wondering what, what would you want listeners to know about Hudson today? Yeah, he was so wanted. Um, we experienced secondary infertility. It was, a, there was a five-year gap in between my son and him already, my oldest son and him already. And that, we think about him all the time. He was just such a light. He was so chubby and smiley and just had the most happiest disposition ever. I mean, basically everything we're doing is for him and we try and live out his life. Brooklyn, um, Hudson was named um, after um, the Hudson car, but also like a little bit of like the Hudson River. And so Brooklyn is, the Brooklyn Bridge goes over the Hudson River a lot of people use the analogy of like rainbow baby or whatever, but it's like bridging the gap of continuing to fill our hearts with love. And um, he continues to do that every day, whether he's physically here or not. 
right? And so he's just a part of like our everyday life and we love him so much. And he was such a light. And Amanda, what's one thing that's currently helping you as your season of grief is ending? Grief never ends, but like this year's season of grief is kind of coming to a conclusion. I'm wondering what's one thing that's currently helping you? I hate this word, but I love this word because it's such a, but just self-care. And I feel like we over-exaggerate self-care as having to be something so big um, and this huge like day or whatever, but um, just listening to my body and deciding where we're at. And if it means taking two minutes to just sit and breathe and realize that everything is going to be okay really listening to your body and it's okay for it to be a totally selfish act. Um, It's okay to take five minutes when you have 500 other things to do. And I've really learned to set boundaries on my bandwidth and my time. Um, I'm also in school full-time while running buzzies and two kids. So it's just been a very like extreme exercise and like time management. Um, but at the end of the day, just being present for yourself, but also being, and that means that you can be more present, authentically show up for others. Um, and so just really, it's okay to say what you need, even if it's something so little. Well, Amanda, really appreciating your time today. And before we end, just anything you want to let listeners know about how to connect with you and how to connect with Buzzy's Bees? Absolutely. Um, so we have Buzzy Spees has an Instagram and a Facebook account. And also we are online at buzzysbees.org. So B-U-Z-Z-Y-S-B-E-E-S.org. Great. And listeners, as always, I'll put all of that in the show notes so you can connect with Amanda and her work. So Amanda, yeah, thank you so much for taking time out of your outrageously busy schedule to talk with me today, to share your story, to celebrate Hudson's life with, uh, with me and our listeners. I'm really uh, grateful for your time. I'm so grateful for you. The Dougie Center um, has been such a light in our grief journey as a family. So I'm grateful for every, all the work that you guys do in this podcast and just moving forward together. And listeners, I say it each and every time, thank you for being part of our community, for listening to the show, for sharing episodes with people that you think might be helped by the conversations that we are having. If you'd like to reach out to me directly, you can email me at griefoutloud at dougie.org. It's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G, which is also where you will find all of our past episodes, our free downloadable resources, links to the workbook that Amanda mentioned earlier in the episode, um, and ways to contact us. And I'm also excited to share with you that this podcast is sponsored in part by the Chester Stephan Endowment Fund. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time. 